Hey, everybody. We are growing and want to continue the trend. If you're listening to our show, it's so important that you like and subscribe because it helps others find us online. Today, we have an amazing guest, Dr. Mo. He is a professional golf coach. He also works with business leaders on the mental game of reaching their potential. He's a new friend of mine and maybe my new golf coach. We'll have to see how that works out, but you definitely don't want to miss this conversation. Welcome to the last 10%. Your host, Dallas Burnett, dives into incredible conversations that will inspire you to finish well and finish strong. Listen as guests share their journeys and valuable advice on living in the last 10%. If you are a leader, a coach, a business owner, or someone looking to level up, you are in the right place. Remember, you can give 90% effort and make it a long way, but it's finding out how to unlock the last 10% that makes all the difference in your life, your relationships, and your work. Now, here's Dallas. Welcome, welcome, welcome to The Last 10%. I am Dallas Burnett. I'm in Thrive Studios, sitting in my 1905 Koch Brothers Barber Chair. But more importantly, we have a special, special guest today, Dr. Mo Pickens. He is a professional golf coach. He has clients that have combined 28 PGA Tour victories with four majors, 300 amateur wins, and two NCAA championships. He is an author. He's a sports psychologist. And I mean, when we talk about professionals, these are guys like Zach Johnson, Stuart Sink, Lucas Glover, Keegan Bradley, Jonathan Bird, Nick Watley. These are folks that you hear on the weekends. And so just so thankful. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Mo. Absolutely. Glad to be here. So tell us exactly how you've got a, a cool story on how you got into, because I think, you know, very few people wake up and say, you know what, I want to be a sports psychologist when I grow up. But I think that's kind of what happens. So tell us the story about how you got into doing what you're doing. I'm uh, 17 years old. I grew up in Orangeburg, South Carolina. So just small town and probably May, maybe April or May or June of the year, because I'm watching an NBA playoff game. At halftime, they show this, I don't know, kind of documentary. And there's this guy, and he calls himself a sports psychologist, but basically he's just hanging out in the gym with Malone and Stockton, you know, mid-80s. And uh, I'm watching this, kind of intrigued. And then, I mean, to me, it doesn't look like they're doing anything. They're just shooting some free throws and laughing and having fun. And then I show this guy, and he gets on a private plane, uh, and they go to the Forum, and they're going to play the Lakers. And then the game's going on, and they show this guy, and he's literally sitting one row right behind the bench, eating popcorn and drinking a Coke. And I'm thinking, they're paying this guy? This is ridiculous. That looks like a job to me. That's really kind of how I you know, was first exposed to it. And so I knew before I went to college, just I was very blessed that I, I kind of knew what I wanted to do and I'd need to go to grad school and that sort of thing. My dad really wanted me to go to med school, but I'm like, I, I'm not going to med school. I want to go try this thing. But I understand now, as a parent with four kids, I understand how he was like, you're going to do what? I might as well have told him I was going to go sell art in San Francisco. It's worked out well. There's some trials and tribulations as there are with anybody along the way. But yeah, it's been a great thing. I'm now down in uh, Sea Island, Georgia. So yeah, that's how I got into it. That's amazing. And so you knew going into college, this is the path that you wanted to take. When you got out of college and you know, I would think that this is a um, business that's extremely driven by relationships like many are, but this one in particular. So how did you go from 
hey, I'm a college graduate and a master and a graduate, have a, get a graduate degree in psychology or a PhD in psychology too. This is my career. I would think that that's a pretty difficult run. Yeah, it is. And I've had some kids ask me now, you know, who are thought about getting into it. And I'm like, well, you need to kind of think through because when you get out, you're not going to just kind of hang a shingle and people are going to flock to your door, which is what I thought erroneously. Really, the only thing you're qualified to do at that point is maybe go back into academia and do some teaching and be a professor. And I knew I didn't want to go that route. My wife at the time, who's still my wife now, but at the time she was working in pharmaceutical sales and we're living in Charlotte, North Carolina, because I have to do an internship to finish up. And so I did an internship with a orthopedic group there. And we're working with Davidson and UNC Charlotte and the Panthers and the Hornets, although I'm not doing much with them, to be honest. And I'm like, wow, she's doing pharmaceutical sales. I think I could do that at the same time I'm trying to build this up and have some time. And because back then, pharmaceutical sales, everything was still paper. So you could get eight or nine hours worth of work done in, you know, three to four hours if you really were on it. And so I told my boss, you know, I'm like, I don't want to lie to a guy. I'm just going to tell my boss. And I had a guy, he played college basketball. We're still great friends to this day. Sometimes he'll come join me at a tournament or two during the year. But so I just said, hey, you know, this is really what I'm trying to do. I'm just using this to kind of pay the bills and fill the gap. And he's like, hey, I get it. Totally cool. You just get your work done for me and go, you get your work done by 12 or one and you want to go see a golfer in the afternoon, have at it. Just very fortunate, again, kind of very blessed in the sense of like guy who understood it. So I worked in pharmaceutical sales for about eight years. At the time, I was living in Columbia, South Carolina, seeing some clients and that sort of thing. And Charles Warren was living there who had played at Clemson and played on tour. But at the time, he was on what would be the Nationwide or the Nike tour. And so we met through another guy and I helped him with his putting. He ended up winning a couple months after that. Lucas was a couple of years behind him. He told Lucas. And so we started working together. Well, he kind of moved forward in 2004. Both of them had graduated from the Corn Ferry Tour, which is now, to the PGA Tour. And so between Christmas of 2004 and New Year's of 2005, we went down to Sea Island, kind of like a camp, if you will, to get ready for them to go to the West Coast Swing. I met some of the people at Sea Island, and then, uh, you know, we started having discussions. I went down there a few more times, and so I packed up my family in the summer of 2005, and uh, we moved down to Sea Island and been there ever since. You got to get some breaks along the way, and I had one for sure in a great boss, and then the other one's just kind of, you know, when you get the chance to work with some athletes, you got to be prepared and not be afraid of that. Hopefully, you can help them, and then as they improve, you know, you can improve. That's so true, and I think it's like, I think that's some of the best advice. When I was in my early 20s, I had a friend of mine, and he was actually a financial advisor. We had, it was hilarious because we were going and asking for financial advice, and we had zero dollars. I mean, it was like we started in the negative, you know, it was really bad. And I'm sitting there going, So, how do we plan it? And he goes, Look, man, he said, The deal is this. He said, You're going to have a lot of opportunities come your way in life. And he's like, The biggest thing that you have to do is just prepare for opportunity. Because I was thinking, like, how could I go and borrow this money to leverage this? And I mean, I was already, I was already leveraged out the hill. And he was like, no, no, don't. He goes, you need to start doing some things to create assets, you know, but you can't go and just, you know, take a shortcut. Prepare for the opportunity. So when it hits, then it's a real opportunity because if you don't prepare for it and it actually shows up, then you're going to just blow it. And so I think that's so true. And I think it's exactly what your experience was. You were ready, man. You, you were a doctor already. You'd already got a PhD in this. You had your all your ducks in a row so that when that opportunity to meet with the pro golfer. And I think too, you were doing so much work. And I think this is also true because sometimes people have side hustles and they're trying to 
it's okay to have a job and then have a side hustle that you want to be your job, you know, and that you're, you know, world class at, you may be a world class, whatever it is, artist, craftsman, or whatever it is, but you just haven't had the opportunity to capitalize and make that. It's fine to go and do something that pays the bills while you're building and growing that business. That's a, on the side, I think, too. For me, it just is really encouraging because, like, you showed up and you didn't just show up and work with the guy. He meets with you and, and he wins tournaments after that. So it's like your best advertisement is his performance at that point in time because he's so jacked that he won. He's like, oh my gosh, I've been working with Dr. Mo and like, I'm winning, you know? And so uh, he's telling guys that are in his network and that's such a cool, and that's got to be cool for you. I mean, were you, how did that first win that he had felt? Was that a validation for you as well? To some degree. I mean, in the sense of, I knew that kind of what we had been working on, which was specifically his putting and, you know, he had putted really well that weekend and just listening to even back then to some of the interviews and some of the back then it would be newspaper clippings and kind of what he was referring to was a lot of the things that we had been speaking about. And so I think it just gives you confidence that like, you know, I thought I knew what I was talking about, but I think I really do know what I'm talking about. And um, so it gives you more confidence when you talk with other guys. You know, for me, I was just really kind of in a, in a place where like, okay, hey, this guy's not putting good. I know that a lot of this is just his thinking about his putting, which happens a lot. If I can get him to change his thinking, it'll change his putting because making the stroke, there's a lot that goes into it. And I don't want to minimize that at some level. I mean, do you believe you're going to make it or not? <laughs> we got to start there. Because he's got the skills. I mean, these are pro golfers. They've been playing golf most of their life and, and they're putting in hours and hours and hours. And of course, every week. so the skill level they're all skilled, right? I mean, and so what you're saying is, is that what he really needed was the mental game. He just needed someone to teach him how to talk to himself, which sounds kind of funny, but so many people talk to themselves in a negative manner or in things they hear in other environments. And you got to be really careful with that because your self-talk is such a powerful thing in terms of influencing your thinking and your overall brain. And I mean, there's tons of stories I could get into. Let's talk about that. Let's dive into self-talk a little bit because, I mean, that's a big part. You have an online program. I've seen it. The Score Better program. By the way, just in the first little video series, your tip on the driving range, which we're not going to share because if you want this tip, you got to go to the Score Better program and download it yourself. But I'll be honest with you. I was shocked because I was like, this is such a simple tip that you give about how to make your time at the driving range better. And I never would have thought of that. And yet it was awesome. It makes total sense. It's totally going to affect my game. So let's talk about the self-talk because you said you've got a lot of stories on that. Tell us some stories about the importance of self-talk that you've seen in your career. Well, so, I mean, I think, you know, when I do talks and speeches around the country and that sort of thing, one of the places I start is I just start with, you know, most of you in the audience underestimate the power of your mind best examples I can give kind of quickly would be, there's a book called Timeless Healing. So if you're into reading, Timeless Healing is a book by this guy, Herbert Benson. It's in the medical field, but it, it really is about your thinking and your self-talk and how that's influenced all about kind of in the medical world. And so just two quick little stories from that. One is a study they did in 1958. And in 1958, you could never do this again now, but they took these women at Harvard Medical School, or not in the school, but hospital there at Harvard. It was 50 women, and they were all having a very rough first trimester of pregnancy. 
nauseous, vomiting pretty much every day, just feeling terrible. And so they, they gave them a pill and they said, hey, we want you to take this pill for 21 days. It's going to make you better. And so these women all took the pill for 21 days and 46 out of the 50 women got better and basically stopped throwing up. And so 92 percent uh, success rate. And so if you had a pill that did that, right, it would get fast tracked by the FDA for approval. But they didn't give them a pill to make them better. And they didn't even give them, you know, what most people are thinking is the placebo pill, which would have no action. They gave them syrup of Ipecac, which is what you give poison victims to induce vomiting. They gave them a pill to make them throw up, but told them it was going to make them better. And 46 out of the 50, because they believed this and because what the doctors and nurses were telling them actually got better. You could never do that today, but that's just astounding to me that your self-talk can overcome the effects of a chemical at a molecular level. That's incredible. And man, I don't know if I'm, if I'm one of those females after the study and they actually publish and they say, hey, I just want to let you know, congratulations, but we were actually giving you like, you know, things to make you throw up. I don't know if I'm like, thanks for sharing how powerful my mind is, or I'm just going to wring your neck for, uh, you know, <laughs> giving me the knot. That's an amazing story. The good news is your brain is incredibly powerful and can help you overcome things. The negative side of that, which is also covered, there's a story in 1968, there's this hobo and he's traveling cross country, jumping from one train to another. And so he, he jumps on this train in Albuquerque, New Mexico. But immediately he realizes after he shuts the door, oh my gosh, I've jumped into the freezer cart. So sure enough, they pull into Phoenix, Arizona the next morning. They open the freezer cart and this guy's dead and he had frozen to death. And he found a penny or some sharp object in there and actually scratched in the floor, help, I'm freezing to death. But the problem was the reason they had to stop in Phoenix is the freezer cart was broken. It never got below 65 degrees in the freezer cart, but he thought he was freezing to death. And so again, that's what happened. And when they actually did an autopsy on the body to see like, well, maybe this guy just had a heart attack. No, his organs looked like someone uh, that had frozen to death. And so it just kind of, you know, exemplifies how strong your mind is. And most of us just don't pay attention to that. And, you know, and I, as I mentioned earlier, I have four kids and I tell them all the time is, you know, you can do a lot of things, you can study, you can do, do and I can do a lot of things for you and other people. And, they, you know, you're going to meet people and a lot of people can do a lot of things for other people. And that one thing that no one can ever do for you is supply your self-talk. That's 100% on you. And that has literally the power to help you overcome things or to kill you. And so you just got to be aware of what you're putting in your mind on a daily basis because it's going to affect the performance of your life. I think that's so true. I was actually reading, I'll have to send this to you after the show, but I, I was reading an article from a medical professional as well. And it was talking about energy and they were talking about DNA and how that's almost correlated to energy and how they were having people like think about certain things about another, something of a DNA. It was something to be unwound and you can do this, you know, mentally that that's normal. That's like normal medicine. But then they were like saying, we're going to do this with this DNA across the room kind of thing. And people were just thinking about that, doing it. This was not like some crazy stuff. These are like medical professionals. Like you said, these studies were at Harvard. These were in the same kind of realm. These are nationally recognized scientists. And they're getting blown away at the power of the mind, not only on one person's body, but even as it relates to other people. It was just a fascinating uh, study that they did. I had never heard them before, but I'll, I'll send you that link because it was it was just a really powerful thing because it's, um, I think, self-talk 
and I think about that as it relates to uh, leaders of teams in organizations and how many times like people's self-talk will become self-fulfilling. I've been in coaching situations and in different businesses, and it's like if a person thinks that everyone is against them, that is how they will see the world, and they will move and act in ways that will actually make everyone against them, you know, and it's like, it's not that way, but yet their self-talk is causing them to act in a way that they will move and it just kind of brings that reality to bear. And so just getting people to focus on, and I think too, with self-talk, I mean, how much of self-talk, and this is a great question for you in terms of around self-talk, I feel like self-talk, I feel like the first challenge would be just the awareness of it. Do you find that to be the case? Like, I would think that some people are saying things to themselves that they don't even know that they're telling themselves. Do you find that to be true? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can give you a very specific example, and most of it comes from your environment. And if you go, when you're, some of your viewers go on the website, which is drmolearnwin.com, looking for this program, but I've written some articles and I've done other podcasts and everything's kind of in one place. But in there, there's an article on I can't remember the title of it, but something about your self-talk. And it talks about how it's formed and it talks about, you know, how you go about changing it. And one of the things that we know is, you know, that early on, it starts with whatever environment you're in. So the things that you hear as a little kid, well, those are the things you go say to the teacher when you're in second grade and those kind of scary little situations. But the other aspect of that is if we just take it specifically to kind of the world I operate in a lot and, and when I'm helping juniors out and they come see me and what happens is they've watched a lot of golf on TV. And when you watch golf on TV, what happens is they want to make it dramatic, the announcers do, so that you don't change the channel and start watching football or baseball. And so what they say is they say, you know, this guy's got a 10-foot putt. And what they say is four birdie to go two under to stay one shot inside the cut line so he can pay his mortgage. Just, I mean, they just add one emotional thing after another. So because the four birdie to stay two under, to stay one, all that is emotional kind of drama talk that you don't need. What I want players to do is I want them to think like a computer and a computer would never say that. A computer would say the distance, slope and break of the putt. It would say 10 feet downhill, left to right or 20 feet straight uphill. And so back in 2009, when I first started working with Stuart Sink, he was struggling with his putting. And that's the first thing we did is I was like, man, you have got to change your talk around the ball putting. And so if you go back and watch the coverage, or if you just pull up a snippet from the YouTube on the 2009 British Open, and that's the one where Stuart won and Tom Watson, he, they were in the playoff. But if you watch before every putt, you'll see him kind of mumbling to himself. And what he's mumbling is he's mumbling the distance slope and break. And he's saying, 10 feet downhill, left to right, five feet straight uphill, and really trying to change how he talks to himself. Because prior to that, he spoke like most of us do, which is to add all this emotional drama to that. And drama just usually does not help your performance. I mean, that's literally how that kind of plays out is we're in this environment, we're watching TV, we think, oh, well, that's normal. There's a lot of things that we do that we just accept as normal that are not productive. And so to your point, yes, just being aware what you're doing and what kind of thoughts are actually going through your mind. I mean, literally, like as soon as you wake up in the morning, are you checking your phone and getting upset at your emails? Or are you having a little quiet time and reading a devotional or listening to some music or doing something you want to do? I think that's so true. I think just the awareness of 
we live in like an age of distraction. There's always something else to steal our attention. And when we have that, and what I've found in, you know, coaching experiences is that there's been people that have gone through, you know, an active coaching environment that we've been, you know, implemented in a business. They will have a life change event simply by taking 10 minutes to reflect. No one's asked them a question. And if they have, they haven't heard it and taken 10 minutes to say, why do I get up every morning and come to work? When is it really hard to choose my attitude during the day? And I find that to be fascinating because it's not surprising because we get up in the morning. It's like you said, your phone's going off, you're getting emails, you're getting news alerts, you're getting all this stuff that's, you know, taking that, you get to work, you're wide open all day, answering, communicating and doing all your things you have to do. And then you get in the car to go home and you listen to, you know, music or a podcast or whatever, you get home and you turn on Netflix and you go to the end of the day and then you, you stop. And so you go through these rhythms all day. And one of the routines is not thinking, you know, you're just kind of, I mean, it was a study it was like, 45% of what we do every day is just autopilot. We don't, we have no thought, you know, much less reflecting like, is this good? Am I doing what actually makes me happy? <laughs> and so I think that's so true. Talk about this with golfers, but I talk about one of the things when I'm with, you know, business professionals, one of the questions I love is like, do you know what you have to be great at? Because I can promise you it's not 10 things and it'll never be email. Every job in the world there's about two or three things you have to be great at, but a lot of people have been in that job for five, 10 years and don't even know that's what I have to be great at. And even for me, it's different than what it is for the players that I work with, right? But I have to be able, a player on the PGA Tour has to be great at managing their mind for three to five seconds over the ball. Because if they can't do that and they can't learn how to basically occupy their mind and block out the other things that are trying to get in there, then they're really going to struggle when the pressure or the adversity comes, right? And so I have to be great at teaching them how to do that. Because if I can't do that, then they're not going to be able to do that. And when they're not able to do that, they're not going to perform well. And then pretty soon I'm going to be out of a job. I mean, that's just kind of how it works. But, you know, if you're a neurosurgeon, I mean, it'd be nice if you have good bedside manner, but that's not what you're getting paid for. I just think most people don't sit back and be like, okay, hey, what are the two or three things I have to be great at? And then everything should kind of prioritize behind those things. Yeah, these are critical functional, you know, areas like this is like if you bold your job and I think about someone leading a team, if you bold your role down to just the absolute essence of how you add value to the world, how you add value to the team, how you add value to your position, if you, you know, took away all the rest of the stuff and said, if you do this in the top 10%, you're going to be successful. Or if you finish strong in this area, if you do this with excellence, then the rest of the stuff you can either manage around or it takes care of itself. And I think that's so true. I think that's just so true. And it's funny because it's like you're talking about that. And, and we go back to that first example, like what got you into your breakthrough into the business, like you were telling us was you were really good at teaching this pro golfer how to butt. And that was like, what he needs. He needs to be able to manage his mind for three to five seconds over the ball when he's making a putt or a hit. And you're like, and I just happen to be pretty good at doing that. And it showed. He uh, went on to victory. So, I, I mean, that's incredible. That, I think that is gold right there. I think that as people, if you're listening to the show, you need to be asking yourself this question because listen, if it's good enough for pro golfers to hire someone, a professional, just to teach them how to think, then for professionals 
we should, whether we're leading a team, an organization, whether we own a business or, you know, whatever, if we're in a nonprofit in the ministry, I think this is a great question, a gut check. Do you know what the most important thing that you need to be great at every day when you show up? And I think the follow-up to that is, what are you doing to make sure that that's being great every day? You know, like, what are you doing? Like, the pro golfers are hiring you to make sure that you're holding them accountable and teaching them what they need and walking with them through that process. So I think for people listening to the show, have you done that? Can you ask yourself that question? Can you look in the mirror and say, do I know what it is? And what am I doing to maximize that? What am I doing to make that better every single day and make that consistent? Because I think that's important. So that sound means it's time to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. If you lead an organization or a team, one of the biggest challenges you face is developing your people. Think Move Thrive is here to help you on your journey. We've developed a coaching system that integrates into your team or organization to consistently develop your employees, build trust, gain valuable feedback, and increase accountability. Leadership retreats and summits are great. We even build those custom for our clients, but they're only part of the solution because they lack consistency. Our one-on-one coaching app is the missing piece in your employee development program. We help new leaders get to know their teams. We help technical managers be more relational. And we help ensure that your relational rock stars stay organized. We developed the system for a client, and it was so successful. We created the app to help more organizations develop their people, build trust, engagement, and you guessed it, performance. For more information, go to thinkmovethrive.com to learn more about the one-on-one coaching system and start developing your team today. Back to the show. Man, that's awesome. Dr. Mo, that is so good. So there was another thing that you said in, in your course, the first part of your course that I really liked, and it just came to mind when you were talking, but it was, um, you talk about starting the day and ending the day. Would you like to sharing that? You were talking on your videos about you doing something that you, you like in the morning or, or something like that. And, you, and at the end of the day, you have that. So tell us about that. Kind of, I love that routine. I love how you talk about that routine. You have so much going on during the day and you do have to be responding to kind of other inputs, if you will. But I believe that you get to, to some degree, choose how you start and finish your day. Now, some days you don't get to choose the time of that. I mean, it's not like I get to wake up every day at the exact same time. What I try to do for myself personally is I just try to do something in the morning that is kind of peaceful and calming. And so for me, most of the time, you know, what I do, well, first thing I do is I do not sleep with the phone in the same room as me. So my phone is in the bathroom and then I wake up in the morning. Hopefully, if I remember to, I say a quick prayer literally for five seconds before I, my feet hit the floor. I get out of bed. I walk across through the bathroom. I go into my kind of little study. I spend some time either just reading the Bible or reading a devotional or something that's just kind of calm and peaceful for me. And as a Christian, you know, a lot of times it has, it's something to do with my faith, obviously. There are times when it might not be. 99% of the time, that's what it's going to be. And then, so I try to start my day in a way that is calm and peaceful and kind of centering about what I think is the most important thing in my life. And then to finish the day, I like to try and finish my day in a way that's kind of fun, not energetic, like going to keep me up, but just like, I'm going to do something that's fun for me. And usually that's getting online and looking at some uh, football recruiting, or I went to Clemson. I'm a big Clemson guy and we still go to the game. So 
you know, checking out. I love this time of the year and getting back into camp. And so I'll check into that. But it could be, you know, doing Wordle or it's just something that I want to do that's kind of fun. It's not going to take long. And sometimes when I'm on the road, if I want to really finish off the day, and I'm, I don't do that this often, but, you know, when I go on trips and if I'm going to be gone for four or five nights in a row, that sort of thing, one of those, I'm going to be like, hey, I'm going to go to a movie. You know, I know it's not the best thing for my body, but I'm going to get me a big old cherry Coke and I'm going to get me a big old thing of popcorn and I'm going to watch a movie and, and I'm going to have some fun. That's awesome. That's basically kind of how I just try to get in the habit of starting and finishing my day in a way that I have some of the control over it because I know that a lot of the throughout the day, I'm not going to have as much control. I want to wake up and I want to go to bed uh, with my mind in the right place. That's so important. I love how you're so intentional about your, the way you set up your routines and just kind of your approach. And we, the last 10% and Think Move Thrive, we're all about routines. We love working with organizations. And, and one of the ways that you can shape a culture is by looking at the routines in the organization and the systems around that. It's different than processes. It's routines is actually what we do. Processes, we may have the process on paper, but what we do is in our routines. And I feel like your words on that are very important for me personally because I love my morning routine. Shocker, I'm not a morning person. I'm actually a night owl. So for me to get up, I have to get up early a lot at all times. And and so I had to get to make that enjoyable. I just had to get a really good morning routine because I did not want to get up when I got up. But if you can do something, it's like you said, if you do something that's relaxing, that's enjoyable, that gets kind of that my whole thing is preparing me to get ready so that, you know, when I walk out the door, it's like game on, I'm ready to go, you know, 100%. And so one of the things that I've actually been struggling with and I'm working on, and I realized it because I started having trouble with my morning routine was that my morning routine is completely dependent on my night routine. And so if I don't have, and I don't have a good night routine, then I just absolutely, it wreaks havoc on my morning routine. And so they both fit together. One of the things I also like about what you said was, and I think this is important for professionals, especially entrepreneurs. So if you're an entrepreneur out there, you need to listen to Dr. Mo on this because this is something that I absolutely in starting companies have had, I've just struggled with. There's so much information, especially for entrepreneurs that, you know, you're supposed to grind this thing out. And, you know, you talked about it early. You had essentially two jobs. You were doing the pharma sales and you were building this other business. And that's a grind. And, you know, we all, we talk about grinding for greatness and going for gold and all this. But in the last 10%, it's all about doing what's necessary, living, finishing strong. And sometimes that means that we're going to have to really put in some effort. We're going to have to do some things that we don't really want to do. We're going to have to overcome some challenges. But what I love about what you said is that you never lose sight of the fact that you want to have some fun. And you've got to have something to look forward to because if you're trying to grow a business and you're just grinding all the time. All you're doing is setting yourself up for burnout. You think that, you know, you read Inc. Magazine or, you know, Forbes or Fortune or whatever, and you're thinking, oh, you know, I need to, you know, do all these things to make my life perfectly like, you know, algorithmic almost to where I can just work all the time. And then you just wake up one day and you're miserable because you've had a lot of life, but you've not done a lot of living. And I love the fact that you said, hey, look, if I'm out on the road, I'm away from my family, I'm sleeping in some hotel, I'm still going to find a way to have some fun. We just need to have some fun. You're in a really high pressure sport. I mean, I can't imagine these are tense situations and you're coaching your guys and you want them to win. And I'm sure that gets you amped up. But even in the midst of all that, you still say, I'm going to have something at the end of the day that I look forward to. 
and I'm have something in the beginning of the day that sets my mind right for the day. I think that's fantastic. Very honestly, I mean, I mean, these guys aren't just paying me just to pay me. I mean, they're paying me to perform better. And so we've structured it in a way, and I actually started this with Charles and Lucas way back, is like, hey, let's build this off for performance. So if a guy finishes outside the top 125, I don't get paid. If he makes it to Atlanta for the Tour Championship, I get paid a lot more. So I'm really invested in their performance. I'm not going to just tell them something just to tell them something. I'm telling them something because I really want them to play great. You know, we're in this together. And so, I mean, that's kind of the way I've structured it. And just to go back to that point, I mean, there's a lot of things that Harvard Business Review has put out. I don't know, they're these small kind of booklets. I hadn't seen them in a few years, but it's all about, one of them's about mental toughness, one of them's about teamwork, one of them's about, but it's like the top 10 articles on blank. One of the uh, booklets, I just remember it was talking about, I picked up one on, it was either on leadership or on mental toughness. I think those are the two I picked up, but one of them talks about, you know, stress is not the problem. It really, it talks about term kind of oscillation where you have to go back and forth. And what they found is stress is not the problem. It's the lack of recovery that's really the problem. People don't build in. So it's good to stress your muscles. That's how you learn to pick up more weight. So stress is actually helpful. You have to have recovery time. So I work on my chest and my arms and that sort of thing. Not that I'm a weightlifter at all, (laughs) but you do that. But then you give yourself the recovery of a day or two days before you go back and put that under stress. And so I think that's really important for, you know, listeners to understand is stress is not the problem and you should not kind of flee from that. You should dive head into that and work as hard, but you've got to make sure that you're planning some recovery time. That's going to give you the energy to then go back and face the stress again, because that is kind of how you grow. That's just a point that I would want to make on that is don't confuse your day and think that stress is the problem. Stress isn't the problem. It's the lack of recovery that's really the issue. I think that's such a good point. And that's, I think you're teeing all that up. You know, your routines are are getting you ready, a mindset in a mental position to where you can take on the day, the challenges of the day, put yourself in uncomfortable situations so that you can grow, take on challenges. But then at the end, you've got this thing that you can look forward to to rest and recover. And even if it's just a micro thing, if it's just going to watch a movie for an hour or two or looking at some, you know, sports things on football, I just think that's everybody needs the recovery. And that's how we can keep going. You can keep grinding and you can grind for a lot longer. We had another guest on, you know, on another episode that, you know, he gave a great quote. He was in the music industry and he said a quote about Kenny Rogers. It's not how much money you can make in a day. It's how many days you can make money doing music. And I thought that was so funny, but it's so true because the goal is not to just just go so hard that you end up burning out. The goal is to say, how can I set up my life, my routines, my habits, and things like that, so that I can do this consistently for a long period of time, because that's going to give you the most success. I mean, you set that up. You're a great example of that. You were in pharma for like eight years. That runway is what you needed to make the connections to do what you ultimately wanted to do. So you're consistently networking, growing your business, coaching, you know, all these things in the background and doing that because you had set your routines up in life where you could handle that. You know, you weren't just grinding to the point where you're just exhausting. You said, I, I quit. I'm not going to do this anymore or, you know, whatever. And I really try to stress that to younger, you know, professionals who are in their mid, late 20s, early 30s, and, and they see people ahead of them in life who are having success or, or, you know, it looks like, and what they don't realize, I stress to all of them is I'm like, do you realize I didn't start this job at Sea Island until I was 35 years old. Like you see me at 53 and 
you see me out on the putting green and, you know, I'm on the Swilkin Bridge at the Open and this guy's taking all these cool pictures and you think it's been like this forever. It hadn't been like this forever. I started this when I was 35. You know, I had to do a lot of stuff that I didn't particularly want to do as a way to build it up. But what it allowed me to do is continue honing my craft and kind of getting better at my skills so that when my opportunities came and when Zach Johnson said, hey, yeah, I think I want to look into a mental coach that I had done all this practice on all these other people, if you want to look at it that way, so that I really believed what I was telling him could take him to the next level or, or at least be a part of that. You don't want to begrudge that. You want to say, man, I'm so thankful. You know, I went through all those trials and that's what led me to this place. I mean, Abraham Lincoln is generally regarded as one of the best presidents, if not the best for sure, in terms of how he handled it and went about it. But part of that is he lost 11 elections before that. So he figured out, okay, hey, I got a lot of time, right, to figure out how I want to do this when I actually get there. I think that's such a great point, and I'm so thankful you shared that, especially for young professionals, because I know there's a pressure. I know I felt it when I was in my 20s. You feel this pressure to achieve, the pressure to succeed, and you you know you pick up a you know a 30 under 30 edition where you're like, oh my gosh, look at all these people that just started you know social media companies and are billionaires, and you know, and the other thing is I think we get pressure too when you're first out of the career if you're ambitious, if you're an achiever, and you go and you work, and you work really hard for someone, and then they give you that praise, and uh, maybe they give you a raise, or maybe they get whatever it is, you know, throw a little gas on the heart, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I'm glad that, you know, we want people to recognize, you know, great contributions to the team and all that stuff all the time. But if you're not, you know, in a great mindset for that, when you take that on, one of the temptations is to say, well, working harder and working more hours got me this, got me here. So if I want to get to the next level, I just need to do more of that. And so then you get into this routine of always working late, always doing nights, always being responsive on your phone at 11 o'clock at night. You get a text at 1230 and you're like responding, you know, in five minutes. And it's like you get to this place where all of a sudden you've built in all these unhealthy habits because you've started with the underlying assumption that working hard is what gets me further. And so the more hours a day I work hard or I'm available or whatever, the better I am. And then all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're burnt out and your productivity is like 20% of what it should be because you just can't do it. You're just frazzled. So I love that point and that advice because I think young professionals, especially if you're a young professional listening to the last 10%, thank you from Dr. Mo. You need to have some things to look forward to. Definitely want to challenge and stress yourself, but you got to take recovery time. So I think that's just a great message. So let's talk about this. And then I'd love to, for you to tell the listeners, I mean, you're, you're an author, you've been on TV, tell them about your book. So talk a little bit about your book and about your online program. Well, yeah, so I've written three books. I'm not planning to do that again. Those are time consuming and difficult to yes, say the least. <laughs> absolutely. The books are really just about kind of the process that I teach and, and the routines and a lot of the stuff that we go through. I mean, Two of the books specifically talk about kind of this idea of playing one shot at a time, which you hear on TV all the time. And guys talking about I stayed in my process and I played one shot at a time. And I got sick of hearing that when I was in grad school and I would ask people, what does that mean? And they'd say, stay in the moment. Okay, so how do I do that? Well, don't think ahead. So how do I do that? Well, don't think behind. So how do I do? I mean, you just go round and round. So it really kind of brings to life this whole idea of this is how you play one shot at a time. And this is what it looks like from this is when you're making your decision. This is when you're in your pre-shot routine. This is what you should be doing in between shots. So both of the books kind of speak to that 
one of them, the first one is strictly golf. And then I basically rewrote that and, and Harper Collins published it called The Winning Way in Golf and Life, which kind of then layers on top of the golf, this analogy of, you know, how I want to kind of live my life. And to some degree, from a faith perspective and sense of we all want to be better at golf. And like, how do I improve this process? And never going to become a, quote, better Christian. That's not the, the way we would look. But you can go about living out your life in a better way. And how can I be more generous? And how can I be more thoughtful? And how can I be more, you know, caring? And those types of things. So it interviews my guys, a lot of my guys, and talks to them about, hey, how do you apply some of these same principles that we talk about into your life, whether it's raising kids or whether it's running your foundation or, or whatever it might be. So. Uh, and then the other one is just more specific. It's called Learn to Win a Major. And it really talks about kind of the year to two years prior to Lucas, Stewart, and Zach winning a major, what was going on. And it breaks it down from what we were working on on the course, what we were doing in terms of practice and prep, and then what was going on off the course for each of them. Because I break down, when I'm, when I'm with a student, we really break it down into those three areas. What's going on in your arena? What are you doing to kind of prepare and practice for that? You know, what's your continuing ed plan, which is easier in sports, but you still have that even in our other professions in life. And then what's going on off the course that might be helping that or might be hindering that. And so those are books are. Um, and then people ask me if I'm working on another book. I'm like, no, not right now. That's sure. <laughs> that's, it is a brutal process. That's a brutal process. <laughs> so I did in the last uh, kind of year really started through COVID because we got shut down for COVID and I'm like, Hey man, I gotta, you know, I, I'm not going to have however long this is going to go on this time away from my guys. So I started this thing with my guys when COVID hit called a minute with Mo. And I basically just said, Hey, we're going to hit a highlight every night. I'm going to do a minute to two minute talking about some topic that we've been through and, and take you all back through the process. Because at the end of each year, we sit down and go through each of those areas, on course, practice and prep off course. And we just go through it over and over. You know, it's kind of like um, the old speech, this is a football. And that's what we're going to start with, right? So the website really kind of came from that. Well, not, I've had a website, but the Score Better video program really kind of came from these videos that I did with my guys. And we did 75 to 80 of them while we were shut down in COVID. And I started thinking, you know, other students could benefit from this. So basically what the Score Better video program is, it's a way for listeners or students to kind of have me in their pocket, if you will, because you can access it on your phone, obviously. And so it's about every month you get five to six videos and they're four to 10 minutes long. And they're just speaking about, you know, hey, this is how I would want you to set up your practice on the range. Or this is how you should be talking to yourself when you're getting ready to hit a putt. You're playing in a member guest. You got invited to a member guest. Do you actually know what you're trying to accomplish during that practice round? Most people don't. Here's some ideas on that. Really what the program is kind of designed is for students or for people who, you know, don't have access to me on a regular basis or hadn't been able to see me yet. Is like, hey, I want to figure out what this guy's about and see kind of what he teaches. And ultimately, you know, right now, I think the first students, because I just launched it back this year, the first students are kind of six months into it or so, and you get it month by month. But eventually it will be 36 months is what I'm thinking, about 180 videos. So you're going to get about 60 videos a year, about 180 over a three-year program. And it really is kind of like, okay, here's what it means to change your game from the inside out mentally. 
and really think about this because, you know, a lot of your listeners that are never going to be able to hit their tee ball like Rory, or they're never going to be able to putt maybe like Cam Smith, but you can think like the best players in the world. And there's no reason that you can't do that. You got to have the discipline to do it. You got to have the intentionality to do it. And this program will kind of really give you a start of, okay, here's how I'm going to go about that process. That's so awesome. And I will say I've seen it and just the few videos that I've gone through were so helpful. I was talking about practice range the other day, like just, and again, even in that video, you're showing something functional, but you're, you're going through how you think about it and why you would set this up and why that makes your game better. And I just, I was, that was so impressive. I was blown away. And so absolutely. And so, yeah, we will put the links to your books in the show notes. So as well as the program. So if you're wanting to know more about the program and check it out, we're going to have links to Dr. Mo's website. We're going to have links to the program and to the books all in the show notes. So you can click on those and learn more information about it. Now, we usually get and finish up a show by asking a guest who would they like to see or hear on the last 10%. And I thought your answer was very interesting. And so would you tell the listeners who you'd like to see or hear on the, the last 10%? I put down Hunter Renfro just because, you know, I mean, I've followed Clemson forever and just watching that guy. I mean, there's a guy who obviously had some skills, you know, wasn't highly recruited, but really, even if he couldn't articulate it, he figured out, okay, hey, this is how I'm going to separate myself. This is what, if I can be great at this, then, you know, I can basically produce this into a great career. And, you know, he doesn't have blinding speed, but in a different way. I've never even thought about this till right now, which is kind of cool. But one of the skills that I want my players to have is they have to have the ability to separate, separate shots, separate holes, separate days mentally. Like they can't get bogged down in a different way. Physically, Hunter Renfro, I think one of his best attributes, and I like football, but I can't say that I know the ins and outs of it. But one of his best attributes is his ability to separate because he's so jittery and and these moves and people just can't stay with him, but it's not like he beats them with blinding speed, you know, like other receivers. So I just, I just think he would be really interesting to listen to in terms of how he went through his process and, you know, what he figured out is, okay, how am I going to stand out? You know, if I'm playing with all these other great receivers and how am I going to basically get time on the field? I think that's awesome. And definitely, I mean, I mean, I would, love to get Hunter on the show. That I think that would be a great interview. And um, Well, we need to work on that. We got to figure out how to work on that. By now, we've probably got to wait till like February or March. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's going to be available in the next few months for sure. <laughs> but I will say, I just, I have seen a picture. They had a picture that was, you know, was on, I don't know if it was on Twitter or online or something that they posted of him standing. I guess they were at like, you know, a party at the lake or something on a, a, a like a pontoon boat. They were all hanging out and all these receivers and him. And you're amazed because these are all like athletes in their prime. And he's the most unassuming guy in the whole lot. You would look at that lot and say, okay, he's a receiver, he's a receiver. And you get to Hunter and he's like, well, I mean, maybe he's the one driving the boat. And then he's the one that has the stats that are better than all of them. (laughs) It's just amazing. So to your point, he's done some things that have separated himself. And in terms of not only on the field, but just in his performance, And so, yeah, I'd love to unpack that, you know, because his mindset's got to be incredible as well. So, yeah, we're going to work on that, man. We actually have some connections there, so I might have to uh, pull them in. Let's work those connections. So I'll definitely be listening to that one and uh, recording it for myself. Well, Dr. Mo, thank you so much. I feel like we've got 
based on all the information you've got in your courses, we probably, this is definitely not going to be the last time that you get the invite because we need to have some more sessions to unpack. We just scratched the surface today talking about self-talk. I know that you have so much more that you share with the world in your books and in your programs. So we'll have to have you on again while we're working on getting Hunter Renfro. So thank you so much again today for being on The Last 10%. Absolutely. Really enjoyed it. Hope the listeners enjoyed it. So yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for joining us today on The Last 10%. We hope you found today's content engaging and encouraging. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to hear the latest episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing us so others will join our community. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. This podcast can be found globally in any podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon. Subscribe today. Plus, visit our website, join our email list, and discover resources and info for your business and team at thinkmovethrive.com. Thanks again for listening to The Last 10%.